Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living doing something you really care about. And today is a special Friday member-focused episode. I'm joined by Jen Rayel from The Fizzle team. Hey, Jen. Hey, Corbett. Howdy. And the two of us are joined by a very special guest. We have a Fizzle member with us today, Vicky Velasquez, who you probably heard if you listen to The Fizzle Show regularly back um, four or five months ago, I'd say, Vicky, Does that sound about right when you were a guest so. before? I think so. Great. And um, Vicky is from Vegetarian Zen. She's uh, co-founder of Vegetarian Zen, I guess you'd say. And uh, Vicky, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you back on the show today. I wanted to dig in deeper today on a few different topics with you. Uh, we're going to cover relationship building with your community, since that's something I know that you've done very well over at Vegetarian Zen. We're going to talk about learning versus doing. And we're also going to cover some productivity because uh, you have in the past run big teams of people spread across different places. So we want to learn a little bit about that from you as well. But before we jump in, um, maybe share a little bit about Vegetarian Zen. For those who don't know, tell us about the site, uh, the origin story, and um, how long you've been doing it. Yes, thanks. So back in 2013, my wife and I, who's also a co-founder, created Vegetarian Zen after we became vegetarians. I was home on vacation. I had a corporate job, pretty steady, the really good job. Uh, and I was just home on vacation and we decided to watch a couple of documentaries. I don't know why we picked the ones we did, but we picked Vegucated, which was about veganism. And another one was Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, which is about this guy that went on this juice cleanse and lost over 100 pounds, I think. Well, by the end of the second documentary, we both decided we were vegetarians and it was just that quick. We just couldn't, after Vegucated, I just couldn't, I just couldn't. And I think I was already maybe steering that way. I mean, maybe that's why I decided to pick those documentaries. Were those, were those Netflix shows? Yes. Uh -huh. Is there such a thing as like a Netflix vegetarian? Is this a, is this a new genre of vegetarians? <laughs> this might be, this might be, yeah. Uh, so we decided to go just uh, pardon the pun, cold turkey. And we just said, you know, no more meat. I called my sister over. She she came over to my house and took bags of meat, meat products and all this stuff. And, and you're and you're Texan. So that's that's a big commitment, right? Oh, yes. That's a huge <laughs> commitment. Huge. Like barbecue is a big part of culture down there. Barbecue and a lot of Mexican food, which I grew up on, has meat. Uh, but yeah, so it's it was a big deal. And, and I would say we probably had meat with every meal. That's just the way we go in Texas. I mean, you have breakfast sausage and you have something, some sort of sandwich for lunch and some big meat dinner, you know, for, uh, at night. But, uh, yeah, so it was no, no easy thing for sure. And we went around about it the entirely wrong way. We started eating junk food because most people don't know that Oreos are vegan, Fritos are vegan. So we started just stocking up on that stuff because my wife is very picky too. In fact, she gets teased a lot about it on in our forums about how picky she is. Like she's the one person I think in our entire community that does not like avocados. She hates avocados. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There's a lot of grief for that. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so she's very picky. So we went around the, the wrong way and we started feeling sick. And then I thought, well, maybe I can't do this. Uh, maybe it's just not possible for me to do this. But instead of just giving up, I went ahead and we started looking out at some resources on vegetarian resources, how to become vegetarian, how to eat vegetarian healthier. And we started course correcting. We started feeling better. And we started sharing some of this stuff with our friends and family, not in a pushy way, just they're very curious about what we were doing and 
uh, they weren't giving us grief about it either, but we just said, Hey, you know, we just learned this. We just learned that. And we were sharing it. And I've always been a fan of podcasts. In fact, I started listening to fizzle very early on and I was listening to like podcasts like smart passive income and other podcasts. And so that I said, you know, I've, I've always wanted to start my own podcast. Let's just start a podcast and start sharing some of what we're learning. And my wife and I also aren't very, when we went out there, we found a lot of great resources, but some of the resources we found were very pushy. And well, why are you just vegetarian? Why aren't you going full out vegan? If you care about animals, you know, why are you going just that kind of vibe? And it didn't, that's not the kind, that's not the person I am. I am just more like a chill trying to be accepting of a lot of different people. And so I thought that's going to push some people away. I want to create a space where people feel welcome to ask questions without getting pounced on for asking, why are you eating honey? If you're a vegan, you know, that kind of thing. It's like that, that's, that's just my vibe. So we started in 2013. I'm sorry, Corbin, were we going to ask for something? Had had you, I'm just curious, had you um, attempted any other sort of business ideas before? Did this, did you start this as a business idea? Did you have that in the back of your head? No. And that's one thing, if I could rewind time, I wish I would have started it that way. It was, like I said, I was a friend of podcast, uh, a a fan of podcasts and saw people like Pat Flynn and like you guys and, you know, talking about, I always wanted to, but because I had this job that was so awesome, it was really good as far as benefits and pay. It was kind of like the classic golden handcuffs, but I really wasn't passionate about that either. But I just didn't see, especially because I'm, I'm, well, I just turned 51. So I, you know, I was thinking I had been with this job for a lot of years and I thought, how am I going to do that? How am I going to possibly going to make that jump? So I never really took that aspect of it seriously, even though I did want to. And yep, then the universe sense. stepped in and made that then decision for you. sometimes the universe puts their shoe behind you and kicks you in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, to answer your question, I wish if I could rewind time, I probably would have started to think at least have a piece of my brain that was kind of putting it towards that a little bit more seriously. And so you started with a podcast. Did you also launch a website around the podcast? We did, but it didn't have a whole lot of stuff around it. It mainly was just a house for our podcast. You know, we uh, obviously was out in iTunes and uh, other mediums, but it wasn't, we didn't really have a lot of content out there. Mm -hmm. And um, Jen was just alluding, I think, to something that happened along the way. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So like I said, I didn't know exactly how this was going to happen, but uh, in 2018, which is just a year and a half ago, I, I, uh, my company was making some restructuring choices and me along with about 150, I guess, uh, of my fellow coworkers were laid off. So it was terrifying, but by the same token, it was also very liberating. And I had kind of been preparing myself because as we went over the, through the years, I, again, I was seeing a path to where we could make this, I think a business, but I just wasn't quite there yet. So we did a lot of things along the way really correctly, I think. Like we were eliminating debt. We were really getting ourselves down to the, to the we, were, we did the uh, whole uh, minimum viable income type of exercise. I did a little bit better and more accurately once I lost my job because <laughs> right. I was easier to play. It was easier to go, really? Is that really? You know, so I was, uh, we did that a little bit uh, more accurate. I will say once I lost my job, because sometimes pressure does that to you. But uh, I think we did a lot of things the right way to set us up so that when I got that phone call that my job was no longer there, I, 
I wasn't completely just looking for another job. I stepped back, of course, talked to my wife about what does this look like? I'm 50. It just so happened to be the same year I turned 50. And I, I just thought, this is the universe, I think. I, I, I tend to come in from the mindset that things happen for you, not to you. And so I try to look at it that way and think, okay, why is this happening for me right now? And, and trying to figure out, is this, what's my next step? And we had that discussion. I said, look, I gotta, if I don't do it now, if not now, when? When is this going to happen? And what were your first, uh, your initial um, sources of revenue in the business? Was it something that you just kind of fell into or did you start looking seriously? Uh, the initial sources I'll say was Patreon. So that was at least covering some of our costs of running the podcast. As you know, it costs money just for media hosting and things like that. Yep. So that was some of our initial. And then we started moving more into the affiliate marketing space. This year, we actually had our first sponsor also of the podcast, which was a pea protein uh, uh, company that we sponsored or they sponsored us. I'm sorry. And so we're, that's now what we're looking at mm-hmm. is more affiliate marketing. Affiliates, mm-hmm. sponsors, patrons. Um, in terms of the, the Patreon, something that I wanted to talk to you about today, uh, you've seemed to have done this pretty well with your community because Vegetarian Zen, as you said, is a podcast, but it's also a website with recipes and so on. And then it's also a Facebook group, right? And that's something that's that right. you've relied on for quite a while. Sometimes when um, people build podcasts, they find that because it's such a a uh, one-to-many sort of medium, mm-hmm. uh, you don't end up hearing much from your community and you feel sort of disconnected from them. It's kind of hard to know how you're doing, what people think. Um, and it's also sometimes hard to see, aside from sponsorship, how you would connect with people and maybe come up with other revenue ideas. Um, you've done a great job of building community around your podcast. Tell us about how that came about and, and how that works for you. Well, my partner and my wife, she had the foresight early on, six months, I think, same, maybe it was within the same year that we launched the podcast, maybe a little bit later, to actually open a closed Facebook group in addition to the public Facebook page that we had. She said, you know, we, sh- we ought to have a group. And this was early. Now think about this. This was like maybe 2013, 14, maybe it was 2014 that we did it. That was early in groups. Groups weren't really a big thing back then, but she's, she thought that would be a good idea. And I actually said, oh, I don't want to have to some, something else to keep up with or whatever, <laughs> but we launched it. And, uh, you know, of course the numbers were really small at first, but we started to see, get more people in and, um, our group has grown. The closed Facebook group right now is about close to 3000 people. And um, it's a really close-knit, I would say, a very close-knit community. People go in there a lot and and talk about challenges that they're facing in living a, a plant-based lifestyle. So, Vicki, we get a lot of questions about uh, people growing engaged Facebook groups. Can you talk a little bit about the beginning of the Vegetarian Zen Facebook group? You end up hitting your stride, and then it grows on its own. But what? How did you get the subscribers and the people to join and and create that community when it was very small? I would say being very active, and I'm still very active. In fact, we were just talking about it today. My wife and I use our morning walk with our dogs to kind of talk about some of the things we're working on during the day. And we were talking about the Facebook group primarily, and and I go in there quite a bit every day. I'm in there liking posts 
and and extracting things also that perhaps we can use on the show. So I think a big part of it is, is making people feel part of, I think they would feel that if you ask some of our group members that they're part of the podcast because they, they, uh, they contribute quite a bit to it. So for example, one of the things I just posted yesterday because we're coming up with kind of our Oprah Winfrey list of favorite things for Christmas um, you know, and these pro- these are products. So we're not we're not just about food, even though food obviously is a big part of it. But we talk about products. We've interviewed um, one of the people I love that we interviewed was uh, Gene Bauer, who's like a big time animal activist. He's the founder of Farm Sanctuary. Um, so we do a lot of that that type of outside of just food. So there's a lot of it's kind of a, a one stop shop for vegetarian, vegan, that kind of thing. And um, so we post I posted in the Facebook group about. Hey, this we're going to put this list together. Let me know what you'd like to see on the list. What are some of your favorite things? Just to get that conversation going with them and making them feel. And we'll often quote people on the sh- on the show too. We'll say, "Hey, so and so said that they love this bag because it was great quality and the customer service was great." And so we're, they're very much part of the show, and I think that helps people feel engaged. And how how did you advertise the fact that you're going to have a Facebook group to begin with? Um, was it through Facebook or through the podcast or how did you find the initial people to get it going? The podcast, definitely. The podcast I think has brought us in the most. I think what's interesting now is we'll see little spikes in member requests and we have a VA who works with us now. She was actually part of our, we call her listener zero because she was actually the first person that started to listen to us back in 2013. You know, that first launch, you're like, is anybody out there? And she was the first person to email us to say, hey, I think what you guys are doing are great. And now it's great that she's able to work with us in a, in a VA capacity. And she will say, oh yeah, you know, and she's a part of a lot of uh, Facebook groups of veganism and vegetarianism. She said, you know, somebody commented on, hey, you should check this group out. And then we'll see like this surge of, of member requests to get into the, the Facebook group um, there. So were, it's kind of organically there- now. Were there any, um, do you remember any go-to techniques or types of posts or content that you published in the group to get it going in the early days? Uh, were there challenges or contests or, uh, you know, what, what did you do to, to drive engagement? I think a big thing, and we continue to do this, is that we will give people the heads up on upcoming podcast episodes and get their opinion. And we get a lot of posts. And we can also tell whether a podcast episode from that is going to be a dud or whether it's really going to probably get a lot of engagement. So for example, I just posted another thing about what's your favorite pumpkin recipe? And I've got like 30 comments just on that. Just people posting, what's your favorite way to eat pumpkin? Pumpkin seeds are a great source of this and you know, that kind of thing. So we're going to be coming out with a, our version of pumpkin. What is it? What are the benefits and how can you use it in your plant-based cooking? Nice. Um, Along the way, as, as you've been building this business, starting a podcast, running a website, Facebook group, all that kind of stuff, there's so much to learn during that time. We're, you know, six years forward, and I know you've got 350 episodes or something of your podcast mm-hmm. out now, um, but you had to learn a lot along the way. What, what has been your approach to learning versus doing, and how do you decide when you need to hunker down and take a course or research something versus just learning it while you're, you're doing it? Yeah, I have to be really careful of that because I am a susta- I am very susceptible to procrastinate learning, meaning that I because I love to learn, and so I will procrastinate sometimes. And, and if, if I get, I think the criteria for me now is 
when I take a course, is this something that I am actively doing right now? So for example, I want to increase, we get a lot of referrals from Pinterest and I think we should be, I should really, it's kind of been accidental that we get a lot, but I mean, given our niche, it's not surprising that we get a lot of people coming in from Pinterest, but I don't really have a strategy around that. And I want to have a strategy around that. There's a ton of resources out there for Pinterest, but I'm not there right now. I'm focusing on some SEO and content building because as I mentioned early on, we didn't have a lot of content. We just had the podcast out there and Google doesn't hear. So I have to create some some meat around the podcast. Yep. So, uh, so that's what I'm focused on. So unless, so I have to be disciplined. This is where I've developed some discipline over the years to say, if I'm not actively doing that right now, I'm not focused on the Pinterest strategy. I need to focus on the content and, and, uh, really just make sure I'm maintaining the focus around that. So if the course is directly related to something I'm working on there, that kind of passes that, that test for me. Yeah. And I think um, SEO would be a good example maybe to jump into because I know that you um, spent some time diving into SEO. Tell us about your your history of SEO. Is it something that you're always sort of aware of, but but didn't have depth of knowledge in? Because I know recently you've had some success with it and um, feel like you've really gotten a good tool belt of skills under you. Um, tell us about that, your history with SEO and, and what you've been able to do recently. Yeah, I would say really within the last six months only, I've really started to focus on SEO and what it is. And uh, for, for people who don't know search engine optimization, so how you really get yourself ranked and get some of your content seen and, and ranked in Google. And I will say that, so one of the things I did was I took um, Matt Giovannisi's course in, uh, in Fizzle. And then I took uh, Pat Flynn also had uh, some, well, he had his podcast 2.0 or something and was talking some about that. So really started to learn about that and really started to apply it to our content as I created the content because I wanted to make sure that the content I was creating was actually hitting on what people were wanting, providing value, obviously, and that Google was going to see it as valuable as well. So it's really been, again, just making sure that I'm staying within that, not getting too far down rabbit holes, going and chase, just really trying to find resources that help me do do what I'm doing right now. And I love what you just said because we have listeners and members at every stage of their business building journey. And I think sometimes when you're first starting out, it's easy to think, oh, well, when I have 3,000 members in my Facebook group and I have 300 podcasts under my belt, everything will be way more straightforward about what I should be doing or learning. But you're really proving that you still, no matter where you're at in your stage, you have to be really decisive about what you're tuning out and what just-in-time learning you're bringing in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of what's propelling you forward because it could always be all the things. We all feel it. Absolutely. You're just diluting yourself if you're going, trying to go after too many things at once. That Pinterest gets me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the trouble is, you know, there's an opportunity there, right? And and, and it, Mm -hmm. it hurts to let it go by, but we only have so many hours and so much focus in a week. Mm -hmm. So, um, Vicki back, back to SEO. Um, was this something, did you then learn to apply SEO techniques to new content that you were publishing or were you able to spruce up old content and then see that you gained more search traffic? 
both. So with the new content, and this has been kind of a challenge because there's one of me right now and my, the v, uh, our VA helps us a little bit. My wife, she actually, we have another business that is on, uh, we sell vintage items and she's also a freelance copy editor. So she is pretty busy with that stuff. So I am pretty much 100% vegetarian Zen. She does the podcast with me, obviously, and she'll help me with some of the of the aspects of the website, but otherwise it's pretty much me. So uh I totally just forgot your question. What was your question? <laughs> SEO results that you were seeing oh, right, for right, new right. versus so, old content. Yeah. So as I create the po- so as I create the podcast, I definitely are applying what I've learned going forward. But then I am taking some time out to go back to old content, particularly if it's something that is it, I see that is ranking somewhat. So for example, so I have a, uh, Ahrefs, or I don't know how you pronounce it, Ahrefs or Ahrefs. I've heard both people <laughs> both ways. Totally. I do. I did invest in that tool, which is not cheap, but it has helped me see a lot of, uh, uh, behind the scenes with what's going on in my site and, and how things are ranking up against the competition and such. So I've been able to, so for example, one of the things that we rank high for right now is hot lemonade for a cough or, or cold or something of that nature. And, uh, that content, it was still kind of high up there, but being able to, when I put some more meat around it and added some more valuable content to it, it actually pushed it up even higher than what it was already. So I've been going back to some of them. Put some foam foam meat around it. Yeah, that's, exactly. Sorry. Thank you. I couldn't resist. (laughs) Some tofurkey around it. Some (laughs) tofurkey. Vicki, Managing all of this, you know, there's deciding what to work on, what to learn, all that stuff is very important, managing your time. But productivity in general as a business owner, especially for someone who started out building this business as a side project while you were full-time employed, productivity is just so, so important. I know that when you were running your full-time job along with starting this business, you were managing teams across multiple time zones and states and so on. So you must have learned a thing or two about productivity and, and packing your day full. What can you tell us about being an entrepreneur, running a a side project while you're holding down a full-time job and productivity? So I will say that I was under the impression that when I left my job, I'd have all this time to be able to dedicate to my business. And yes, the landscape is a lot, looks a lot different than it did when I was in a full-time job. But in some ways, the full-time job actually made it a little bit easier because I had some constraints and some bumpers that I knew I was playing with some fixed time. I think it's really easy when you're your own, when you're working for yourself to, to, uh, lose some of that discipline, I think. And it's really a, a lot more, it can be a lot more challenging in some way to make sure you're still putting the appropriate guidelines around your, or the appropriate bumpers, I think, around your work. So when I was in uh, at my previous job, I actually became a productivity coach. I kind of carved that little niche out for myself. I read uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen, and I taught some of the core principles to my team. My team loved it. Somebody from my team mentioned it to another team. Another team said, hey, can you come over and teach this to our team too? So I gave them some principles. And then it just kind of expanded to where I became part of the actual training, that course that I was teaching. It wasn't all GTD. It was kind of like a different, some of the principles were the same, but it was a little bit uh, more tailored to our, I guess, to our company. Um, Became part of the manager. So any new manager had to go to that training. So I would, I would, uh, teach that to 
folks across different sites. That was fine. And so I thought, oh, I got this productivity thing down pretty good. When I lost my job, I thought this is not going to be that big of an issue, but it was a little bit of a game changer because I had to, I didn't have the hard set schedule that I had when I was working at my company. And I really had to step back and, and see how these, some of these same things applied and how they, what they look like now in this sort of environment that I'm in now. So to give you an example, one of the things that I think that transfers over very nicely from, uh, from, my previous days, it was like we were just talking about, there's a lot of things I want to pursue, like the Pinterest strategy we we're just talking about, but I can't do that right now. But because I know I have a someday maybe file, like getting things done talks about, I put it in that and I can revisit it later. So my brain can let go of it. Because yeah. I think what happens to a lot of people is we overwhelm ourselves. When we don't, I, I always tell people, if you do nothing else, just have one place where you write everything down. Just write it down. Just put it in there. If it's a, some people call it a brain dump, whatever, just put it somewhere that your brain can let go of it. Because you, I know you're familiar somewhat with GTD principles. David Allen says your brain is the worst office in the world. And it really is because if you just try to keep everything inside of your head, it's whether you know it or not, even if it's not at the conscious level, your brain's still trying to hold on to something for you. Vicki, are you a digital or a paper planner? Kind of guy. I am a hybrid. So I keep a lot of my tasks in OmniFocus on my phone. And then I also, but to help me focus, because I don't want to look at everything, I have actually a bullet journal that I have kind of customized for my own, in my own way. But um, so every day when I look at my tasks, I don't want to look at everything in here because this is my closet, right? I just want to look at this, I want to look at what I'm already decided for myself the night before that I'm going to be working on today. So you put what you've decided to work on in your paper planner, your bullet journal. That's correct. And yeah. I take it out of here. Your phone. Mm -hmm. My yeah. OmniFocus. OmniFocus is the one I use. There's a ton of uh, uh, apps out there, but that's the one I, I use. Okay. Vicki, uh, you mentioned something a minute ago when you lost your job, uh, which was about 18 months ago, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember a time where uh, I think what you had learned about productivity, you had to challenge it. You, you found that it wasn't adequate for this new world of mm -hmm. being a full-time entrepreneur because a lot of us feel like the thing that's holding us back is that we just don't have enough time to work on our business. But then when we're confronted with a full week of open hours, uh, we don't get nearly as much done as we hoped that we might. What, what happened there? Did you experience that? And, and how did you find your path again? Yeah, I think initially it was just like, woo, this whole time is available. And it was just like from when I got up to, to when I went to bed, but then there was no sort of structure where well, when I was working a full-time job, when I was trying to get things done there, I had set meetings and I didn't, obviously I didn't have back-to-back -back meetings. So I knew that, for example, if I was working on an associate, a review for one of my associates, and I had a meeting from meetings from eight in the morning till, uh, let's say 10, and then from two to five or something like that, I knew I only had a set amount of time. So there was a bumper there. We get very loose with our bumpers when we don't, especially us, because we don't have children. So, you know, I don't have any sort of hard commitment to, you know, like picking them up or anything like that. So you almost have to, one of the things I learned is I had to almost create my own constraints 
So for example, if there's something I know I'm going to have an issue, like it's, it's a high energy, it's going to be really intense focus. I'll procrastinate a little bit unless I put some hard bumpers against that for myself. Things that are difficult to move. Yeah. And I know that um, we talked recently about how your schedule still tends to bleed from the daytime to the nighttime and from mm-hmm. the weekdays to the weekend. Have you found any reprieve there or are you still kind of working all hours of all days? Well, I have found some reprieve because I figured out what's happening is, and this this is one of the things that is a little bit easier when you are working for yourself, is that you, you can plan your work more around your energy level. So I tend to be an early morning person, but then right around the one o'clock to four o'clock, I get, my brain is dead. It just doesn't. So my wife and I decided, Hey, maybe we're going to play some video games during that time, or maybe we're going to do so. So we're taking more time off during the, during that time. And then we'll have dinner later and then or like around six or five or six, and then we'll work for a little bit longer and then call it. So it's more about learning. I think it was trying to get out of the nine to five mindset, first of all. And then really the luxury you do have is that you're more able to work around your energy level. Whereas when I was in the corporate job, it was nine or eight to five, whatever, no matter what. Too bad you just have a slump from one to four or five, you know. I love that, Vicky, because you had talked so much about working late into Mm -hmm. the night and just feeling really bad about it. And what a great solution to actually just take some, you can make this up however you want. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, when you take that time off during the afternoon and then come back to work later, you're fresh and excited to get something done that evening when you know your energy level is high versus if you just plow through working the whole day, even though you're not getting as much done in the afternoon, by the evening time, your brain still, even though it's your normal energy time, uh, is just tired of thinking about the same thing. So Absolutely. And I think the reason I was feeling compelled to, to, to just work all day is because I knew that downtime from one to five or whatever that I had was I was still trying to get through, but I knew I wasn't as productive because just my brain was not that's the low energy time for me. And then you end up beating yourself up about it yes. and just get in this kind of I'm negative. I'm still going to bed tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. I love a, what you said is so uh, specific to you and your wife. Um, mm-hmm. Where We had on Fizzle Friday, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Lisa talking about she likes to get like menial administrative tasks done in the morning where lots of time the overwhelming advice of the internet is like wake up and do your most important thing first while your brain is fresh but like you need to find out what works for you that's right it's the same thing with all those morning routine and all that kind of stuff that's great if that works for somebody but you've got to figure out your own morning routine what that looks like for you and how and how that matches with your energy level throughout the throughout the day Vicki Velasquez, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I've been a fan of Fizzle for so long. Uh, I mentioned the last time I was, was on the show is that I would listen in the break rooms or, you know, going to work uh, in the morning or leaving. And I, I'm, I'm just super thrilled that I'm able to be on the show. So thank you so much. Well, we appreciate you being here and sharing what you've learned and some of your successes with the Fizzle Show audience. You guys can find more from Vicki over at vegetarianzen.com or you can find the Vegetarian Zen podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find links to everything that we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to the Fizzle Show. Fizzle Show.